and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. There are few things more British than a pub. After the lockdowns, there were sighs of relief when they reopened. But pubs are in trouble. Why are we abandoning them and what should we do about it? With me is Tom Kerridge, an English Michelin-starred chef who owns restaurants and pubs around the country. Welcome to The Bunker, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. How much have your energy bills gone up? Well, I, I mean, a number of places are quite lucky that um, the majority of them are tied in, but we do have one that is coming out of its tie towards the end of this year. And at the minute, it's paying 14 pence per kilowatt hour. And it's now the first quote that came back from our existing company has gone from 14 pence to one pound, two pence per kilowatt hour. So that's an increase of a, from around about £5,000 a month, £60,000 a year, to £35,000 a month or £420,000 a year, which is just non-viable. We don't yet have the details Well, at the time of recording, but Liz Truss has said she'll make sure that hospitality is helped. That must come as a relief to you. It does. But the problem that we have with hospitality is, you know, profit is is a very, very, very fine line, irrespective of how busy places are or how busy they look or how expensive they may seem. You're talking to me as a successful restaurateur with six businesses um, that are restaurants and pubs and I'm in the world of media and publishing. And it's all very well and good for me to sit here and say, yeah, no, uh, that help will work fine. However, um, the majority of pubs and restaurants do not make much money. To make money out of hospitality is very, very difficult. We hear about it two out of three businesses shut in their first year. So um, the, there's varying levels of help. It needs proper constructive thought process going into it that really does help the little guys. Normally, it's £155 to eat at one of your restaurants in a meal, but you're actually doing a special deal at the moment, aren't you, where you have a £15 set lunch menu. Is it getting very hard to feed people for £15? I imagine it is. You can't be making much profit on that. Oh, no, we make no profit on that. That, that that's, um, that's, that's done for two reasons. One, because the news is constant, you know, about the cost of living crisis coming in both domestically and for business, you know, that more and more people, the, the rise of inflation means that more and more people have less money in their pockets, you know. And we hit that point where in September, kids are back at school, people go back to work. It feels that there's that kind of lull slightly in business um, but also the, the the news feed into everybody at home makes people feel slightly nervous and negative. So we wanted to do two things. One, to feel that we're giving something back to create, create a bit of good news and good vibes and good feelings. But two, to make sure that the staff buzz off their work that they're doing. Did you get that during Eat Out to Help Out? Because it got quite a bit of criticism, that scheme, for spending a lot of money and potentially also spreading COVID sooner than it needed to. But did that work for you? Yeah, I think every restaurant would say that it, it did help out quite a bit. You know, there was a lot that came through and it created a bit of a buzz and a spark and a great energy for um, people to come out. I mean, I, I'll be straight and honest with you. I am not the biggest fan of this government. I, You know, I, I am not a conservative voter. However, there were a lot of things that during the pandemic, there were a lot of things that you know, there were lots of variables and understandings and that nobody knew or could try and get right. And retrospect is a very easy thing to criticise people on. Um, but 
at that point and that period, the Eat Out to Help Out scheme did create a kind of uh, an excitement, a buzz, a feeling of people going out and doing stuff, trying to give an energy back to to businesses. So, you know, it, it, it is easy to look back and criticize it for lots of different reasons. But at that moment in time, it, it was good for industry and it was good for business. Let's talk about pubs in particular, because the numbers of pubs in Britain have been falling fast. There are fewer than 40,000 left. And yet what we're seeing is growth in cafes. People are going to cafes. People are not going so much to pubs. Does that worry you? Yeah, it's terrifying in, in a lot of ways. And there's so many different factors of why this is happening. It's not just one thing. You know, there, there's a huge varying number of issues. One is, you know, the profit margins in pubs are, are very, very small, irrespective of whether you think your five or six or even seven pound a pint is expensive. It may well be expensive, but the, the, the margins on it are, are still very, very small. Pub landlords are not making huge profits here. There's a big issue with the pub company ties where people have to buy all of their alcohol at an inflated price um, for uh, what is originally sold in as reduced rental for high street spaces. But actually, in reality, most of those rents are pretty much the same as they would be for a normal high street space. But then with also the increased cost of the the beer, Um, there's also a huge move, I think, in people's drinking habits which is one of the biggest things you know people don't drink during the day anymore more and more people are much more health conscious people enjoy themselves um, in a way that is much more now focused on quality necessarily rather than quantity and that pub industry needs to change and adapt and move you mentioned the rising coffee shops pubs need to be able to operate you know for 16 hours of the day you know and the weatherspoons model no matter what you think of it or what it offers or what it does uh, or whatever you think of, of um its owner and his views on brexit irrespective of that the actual weatherspoons model is a pub that is open pretty much from seven o'clock in the morning that opens for breakfast and then it does something with coffees and tries to create that kind of middle ground and uh, midday and lunchtime crowd and then in the evenings it has different offers on food whether it's a curry night or a pie night it generates and it moves throughout the day you need to create um, reasons for people to come into the pub but the fear that that they are threatened with closure it, it runs a lot deeper than that because in many places these pubs are the center of communities they sit there in 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 housing estates they sit there in the middle of rural villages they sit there in the middle of communities and towns that where they are the point where people make contact with with each other and for that to slowly be eradicated away for landlords to feel that there is no point in doing it because there is not an opportunity to make a decent living or even just a simple living any more out of it will mean many many spaces in communities will start to lose and become fragmented and fall apart. We're not socialising over food and drink in the same way that we used to. I mean, what we're seeing the growth in is things like Deliveroo and takeaways. And it suggests that people just don't want to share food in the same way. They want to choose exactly what they want and then they want to take it away and eat it at home. Is that a kind of cultural shift that you're you're struggling with a bit? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not certain that the delivery model is something that's attacking the market. I think, I think that is something that is attacking the full, complete takeaway model. I do think people want to go out and it, when you meet people and you socialize, um, there is energy that's created and we are social animals. We do all enjoy it. We do want to be a part of it, but our social habits are very different to then just going to the pub and drinking. You know, over the last 30 years, the rise of things like high street pizza chains or, you know, e- even any kind of high street or recognized branded restaurant now the idea of going and having a bottle of wine and eating a pizza is the same sort of social connection as it would be going to pubs so pubs are i would argue competing more with the high street restaurant chains than they are the delivery model and young people are drinking less aren't they they are yeah you're more likely to find an 18 year old now with a protein shake than you are a bottle of cider in the park yeah i mean should pubs be selling protein shakes because as someone who who doesn't drink very much uh, when i go to a pub and i don't want to drink more than one one alcoholic drink it's just kind of there's not much there's an orange juice there's a tonic it it's a a call for more interesting low alcohol and no alcohol drinks that pubs need to meet it's a huge market space that is actually in a massive growth area where non-alcoholic drinks that are more adult based, more grown up rather than just a, a cola or, or an orange juice, uh, non-alcoholic spirits, um, distillations, cocktails, zero alcohol beers. are uh, They are big market space and big sellers. Uh, but what we also then have to remember that there is a value to your space and you being in a pub, you know, just because it doesn't have alcohol and it doesn't mean it has to be any cheaper. Alcohol is not the thing that makes things expensive. You know, it's staff, it's labour, it, it's electricity bills, it's the cost of actually being in that area or in that business. If you think now that you might go to a pub and you sit there for two and a half hours and in that space you might drink three pints and at those, you know, even if it was £7 a pint, you know, you've spent 21 quid in two and a half hours. Well, pubs, you know, you can't exist you know, on that. You know, if you think people are being paid ten, eleven pounds an hour to be there. So if you've been there for two nights, it doesn't even cover the wages. Do you know what I mean? It's like what you have to do is bear in mind that there are a huge amount of costs that come into play here. Um, and all those margins are being squeezed. But at the same point, that rise in non-alcoholic drinks is one that is on the up, but it doesn't mean to say that they're just going to be any cheaper. What's Brexit done to your business? Because the government doesn't want to talk about this. Labour doesn't really want to talk about this. Has it had an effect on the way you run your business? Yeah, Brexit has been huge. Like Brexit is the worst thing that has happened to the hospitality industry. There isn't a single positive of Brexit. Um, I, I was a Remainer and I still wish we were still in the European Union. Um, and nobody at any point has been able to point out to me for one single, one single positive of Brexit for my business. Now, I'm sure many people's other businesses may well be seeing some advantages of it, although I doubt it. I can't see one. But from my point of view and for hospitality, there isn't a single bonus anywhere the the cost of ingredients the cost of a workforce the cost of getting anything done and i don't mean just import and export um the labor and freedom of movement of people is the biggest crisis that our industry faces and then as it comes through into hospitality you know hospitality isn't just about head chefs with mission stars and incredibly talented front of house management teams hospitality runs on a giant workforce that is all about whether it's the housekeeping, whether it's the commie chefs and the kitchen porters, whether it's about the young waiters that are learning a, a, a trade, whether it's the barmen and the bar backs. There are so many departments where people, you know, have to have this kind of 
workforce that has been deemed through Brexit as unskilled. Well, you know, that there's a very, there's a huge difference between lower paid and lower skilled. I mean, I would argue anybody who works as a kitchen porter on a Friday or Saturday night at the two Michelin star hand of flowers, that isn't somebody with low skills. They're the oil that keeps everything moving. And without that workforce, everything begins to seize up and slows down. And also then without that workforce working in farming and agriculture and fisheries, what happens is that drives prices up, which in turn comes into restaurants, which in turn puts pressure on the price going out to guests. So there really isn't a single positive about Brexit. And the the sad thing about Brexit is that until we admit that Brexit is a problem for particular industries, for many industries, for many spaces, until we admit that it is wrong, until we admit that there are huge flaws in the system, which we can face up to and then make decisions to get right, this will continue to go round and round. And that that is both for government to address, but also for opposition to take under control as well. When things are wrong, the first thing that happens in a kitchen, if something's gone wrong, you put your hand up and you say, there's a problem here, chef. What do we do? And you can solve it. It doesn't mean to say that that's it. We ignore the problem because it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And that's exactly what we have to do with Brexit. We have to face up to the fact that it is an issue. Then we have to work out how to deal with it. Then we can move on. Until this point, just to keep shouting that we've got Brexit done is irrelevant because we haven't got Brexit done. What we've done is set fire to a house and we haven't put it out yet. Pubs have already changed a lot in the last few decades. I mean, I remember when, you know, you took a bit deep breath before you walked into a pub where you didn't normally go because it was difficult, especially if you're a woman, sometimes just to walk in. You felt awkward. You felt out of place. And that's totally changed. Do you think pubs can just car- can carry on reinventing themselves? Do you think they can get over this, this problem? And, and what's the best way for them to do it? Yeah, absolutely they can. Pubs are, you know, the great thing about hospitality is it is very fluid. It can move quite quickly. But the pub sector of it is something that feels that it's quite steeped in history and heritage. But that's only the outside of the building. Um, You know, essentially, the bar is somewhere that is comfortable. You know, you walk into a bar. You walk into a pub, there should be somebody behind there with beer pumps that says, hello, how can I help you? What can I get you? And it's that simple, the simple things in hospitality. Now, those offerings need to adapt and change. Maybe the times that you're open need to adapt. And yes, that we will inevitably see many pubs shut up doors and possibly, you know, for good, which is terrifying and horrific. But it can also be seen as opportunity for young entrepreneurial spirits to take on um, the idea of what to do. You know, we saw the rise of the, in inverted commas, gastropub over the last 20 years and how well it's done and where it's gone and what it's led to. And that can constantly move as well. Where does it go? What does it do? Is it embracing the idea of all day cafe culture? Is it embracing the idea of it all being food led with simple offerings like Spanish tapas bars? Is it embracing the ideas of it being community centers, places where people hang out and meet? Is it embracing the idea of it being multifunctional like a retail space as well as a bar so there's all sorts of different things there are different opportunities um, but we can't live in the past of going that is what a pub is it opens its doors at midday and someone comes in and drinks loads of beer because those people don't they're not there the world has changed the world is different and hospitality needs to change with it tom thanks so much for joining us pleasure Thanks for listening to The Bunker and don't forget you can back us on Patreon. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast and you can help us keep going for what I normally say is less than the cost of a pint, but I probably shouldn't say that, should I? 
I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. The Bunker was presented by Ros Taylor. Audio productions from me, Robin Lieber, and the producers are Yelena Sofronovic and Jacob Archibald, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor is Andrew Harrison. And our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.